This sermon was written by Reverend Steve Van Leeuwen of the Calgary Canadian Reformed Church. And after the sermon, we will sing, in response, Psalm 68, verses 3, 4, and 5. Dearly beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we began looking at chapter 18 of 1 Kings, what we observed was the contrasting worldviews of Ahab and his right-hand man, Obadiah. If you recall, even after three long years of drought and despair initiated by the word of God as delivered by Elijah the prophet, Ahab still had not returned to the Lord. In fact, he had hardened himself going into self-preservation mode. He was vainly trying to preserve his earthly blessings through his own personal efforts. At this stage in the narrative, he was out looking for grass to preserve his cattle and horses, even while the nation reeled under the devastating weight of the drought. While he goes in one direction, he sends his right-hand man Obadiah in the other to look for the much-needed fodder for his cattle. But we know that Obadiah had secretly preserved a hundred prophets of the Lord, and deep down in his heart, he feared God and was waiting for the word of the Lord to bring a return of blessing to the promised land and the covenant people. But at this moment in our narrative, in spite of Obadiah's faithful, faithfulness, he had suffered too, just like all the faithful remnant of Israel had been suffering under the Lord's judgment. The faithful prophets of God that had not been killed by Jezebel and the remnant of their ranks were living in caves and being fed bread and water. And now imagine the state of the average Israelite that did, not go, that did not want to go along, who refused to bow down to Baal. They likely lived in fear for their lives, because Baal was supposed to be the god who brought the rains. And if someone refused to engage in the idolatry of Baal worship, they would have likely been accused of angering the god, who was thought to usher in the rains that would bring, bring back prosperity. It was a dangerous time to be a believer of Yahweh, so much so that the church's witness appears to have been silenced. As an outsider looking in, it might have appeared like the faithful church had been completely rooted out and destroyed. But we know from our text that there were, were still some faithful believers. But what may shock us is that the Lord allowed this faithful remnant to suffer right along with those who had abandoned him in favor of Baal. In fact, they even had to hide in fear for their lives, and so we are left wondering what God has in store for his people. Just imagine how the faithful must have longed for the return of God's word, the life-giving power of the gospel message. They must have clung in hope to the message that Elijah left behind when he had first announced there would be no more rain except by the word of God. And that is the looming question, when would the word return? Well, that is what our text is all about, how God begins to work out his plan for the return of his word. God announces the return of his word through his faithful servant, Obadiah. We see first, Obadiah's call, second, Obadiah's fear, and third, Obadiah's assurance. Now, you might be wondering why the word of God returns to the nation of Israel in the manner revealed in our text. Why does Elijah enlist Obadiah to announce his arrival? Why all the drama and fanfare? When Elijah announced the coming drought, he went personally to Ahab without drawing much attention to his task, at least not that we know of. 
It does not say that a servant went before him to let the king know of his imminent arrival, that there was the prophet of God with a message of judgment for the king and the people. And yet in our text, the Lord directs a meeting between Obadiah, the faithful servant of God, and Elijah, God's prophet, so that Obadiah can be sent ahead of the prophet and announce his return. It reminds you of a modern-day press conference where one wants as many people to hear the message as possible. So they announce a time and a date for their presentation to be made. And so this meeting is by no means a coincidence. But what was so important that it needed this kind of build-up and announcement? Well, if you recall, last time we highlighted a contrast between Ahab's approach to securing the blessing of the promised land and that of Obadiah. The king had determined that he was going to do what he could to secure his own blessings. When the going gets tough, the tough get going, so Ahab personally oversees the search for grass for his cattle. He calls out his most trusted advisor, Obadiah, to help him in his efforts. But Obadiah knows that the blessing that Ahab seeks can only be found in the fulfillment of God's promise. He was aware that when the word of God came, then and only then, would they receive the rains that were needed to water the earth and bring forth grass for the cattle. And as we have heard before, the physical blessings of rain point to the spiritual blessings of God's word. And so we see a great irony in our text. Verse 7 says, And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? The wicked king Ahab, in an attempt to secure his own earthly blessings, had sent out his servant Obadiah to find grass. But that is not what he finds. No, he finds something far better. He finds what he had been longing for. God was true to his promise. The word of God was returning to Israel. The Lord, in his love and his mercy, directs him to find the prophet, the bearer of God's word. And you will notice his response. Obadiah, likely the second most powerful leader in all of Israel, Ahab's right-hand man, falls on the ground in deference before the bearer of God's word. And in his address, he shows his submission to the word of God. Is it you, my lord, Elijah? Unlike Ahab, Obadiah understands that he can do nothing in his own strength. His rank and privilege meant nothing before the word of the holy God. And we see something revealed here in scripture that needs to shape our attitudes and our thinking. God shows us that the way of blessing is not in self-reliance, like the path that Ahab was walking, but rather in the humble submission of God's word. No matter what your place or station, you are dependent upon the grace and mercy of the Lord God in heaven. And when you look to him in faith, relying upon his word in humble submission, you can be assured of living under his blessing. But there is more to follow. We also see that it is the humble servant who falls in submission before the word who the Lord calls into his service. Such faith and dependence makes one an instrument suitable for work in the kingdom of God. And that is what the Lord had in mind for Obadiah. Because then he calls his faithful servant of God to herald the coming of Elijah the prophet, who had come with the word of God. Verse 8 says, And he, that is Elijah, answered him, it is I. Go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. The prophet of God gives Obadiah commission to herald the arrival of the word of God. 
And you will notice that this is not a request, but a command. Obadiah is called into the service of Yahweh, and it is not an optional calling. His task is to announce emphatically and directly to the apostate king that Elijah had returned. Sometimes, as servants of the Lord, we think that we need to help the Lord's message along by framing it in a way that is softer and less direct so that people will accept it. But we need to remember that we bring a message from the Creator and Sustainer of life itself. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and His message is a message of authority. A great king sends his ambassadors with great authority, not with authority rooted in themselves, but in the word of God. And so God does not need to plead with his creatures to please believe in me. He does not try to coerce the apostate world into his service. No, he says directly and emphatically, believe in me. It is not optional. And when he speaks through his word, he says to his people, hear the word of the Lord. And that is how Obadiah is to come to Ahab and his apostate people. Behold, Elijah is here. In other words, listen up. It is time to hear the word of the Lord. And beloved, this would not be the last time that the Lord directly confronts his apostate people. If we think about this scene, we cannot help but think about John the Baptist, who was sent before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to announce the arrival of the word made flesh, the Christ. And John did not miss words either. He said about himself, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. And when Jesus arrived on the scene, he said boldly and directly, Behold, the Lamb of God. The spiritual reign that you have been waiting for is here. And brothers and sisters, this pattern does not end with, coming, with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. No, Christ continues to give his word to his apostate world, so that they too may know the source of real spiritual blessings. And he has recruited us, much like Obadiah, to be his witnesses, to go out into the world announcing the wonderful life-giving message of salvation, to remind them that the Word, the Christ, is coming, and when he returns, he will judge the living and the dead. In fact, before ascending into heaven, Jesus says to the church, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We are to boldly herald that message to a world steeped in self-reliance and idolatry. Hear the word of the Lord, real blessing. Life-giving blessing rests in the word of God that announces the word made flesh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But admittedly, this is not an easy task to which we have been called. And from an earthly perspective, it can even be dangerous. The world has their own gods in whom they trust, and they may not be very receptive to the message of the one true God. Obadiah felt the weight of that calling. In fact, he feared for his life. And that brings us to our second point, Obadiah's fear. Our text indicates that Obadiah, someone who fearlessly and at great personal risk had hidden a hundred prophets, was afraid to go and confront the king. He even asked Elijah, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? 
Obadiah is concerned that his cover is finally going to be blown. It is going to become very clear to Ahab where Obadiah's allegiance lies. To be faithful to this command was going to put his life on the line. Because as Obadiah explains, the king had looked high and low for the prophet Elijah and had been unable to find him. He even questioned the allegiance of those who went searching for the prophet by making them swear an oath that they had no idea where Elijah was. Any God-fearing Israelite would have never have lied under oath. In this way, Ahab assured himself that he was getting a straight answer. But if Obadiah was now to go to the king, acting like a herald and a servant of the prophet, and in deference to the Lord's servant, announce his arrival to the king like Elijah, to the king like Elijah was an important dignitary rather than a despised and wanted criminal, it was not going to go well for him. Especially if Elijah, the servant of the Lord, would end up not showing. That is why in verse 14 he says rather reservedly, And now you say, Go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me. And although we personally may not have as much reason to fear in our own Christian walk here in North America, we can observe such a pattern in the lives of many who seek to serve the Lord. When persecution comes, there may be times when the faithful saints need to quietly work at sustaining the remnant that the Lord preserves during times of trial and difficulty. We can think of the church in Muslim countries or operating underground in the communist nations of the world where all they can do is hide and wait for the Lord to come through the power of his word to bring his blessings and renewal. But as we can see with Obadiah, when the Lord brings renewal, he does so by calling the faithful to boldly announce and proclaim the arrival of the word. But the Lord does so in his time. Three long years had passed with no rain. The people had been brought to the point of despair. And yet, in the background, the Lord was preserving a remnant that would be revealed at just the right time to announce the coming return of his blessing. But that can be a dangerous calling. Just think about how similar that is to the life of our Lord and Savior. Initially, he kept a tight wrap on his identity. He even told his disciples not to tell the people who he really was. Prior to his coming, John the Baptist had prepared the people's hearts. And Jesus himself prepared his disciples and the people for the time that he would reveal himself. And when he did reveal himself as the word made flesh, as the Son of God, the people were ready to stone him, and in due time it cost him his life. God's ultimate revelation to the world, his one and only son, was put to death for declaring the greatest blessing that the world had ever heard. The kingdom of God was at hand. Sin was on the way out, but they did not want to hear about the blessing that they so desperately needed. And it appears that Ahab was not incredibly open to that message either. And it is still the case that bringing the good news of the gospel message can be dangerous. And yet, God is calling his church to bring that message to our broken world. Jesus warned his own disciples in Matthew 10, verse 17 to 18, that it wasn't going to be different for them either. Verse 17, we see, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And verse 18, And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. 
And the blood of the martyrs testifies to this faithful response of God's people who at the appropriate time put their lives on the line to announce the blessings of our God. And so, in light of everything that I have just said, Obadiah's fear does not seem that uncalled for. After all, Elijah, the chosen prophet of the Lord, had been divinely preserved while Ahab was trying to kill him. But Obadiah was not at was not all that assured that he would be given the same treatment by the Lord. He recognized that he could not march into the courts of Ahab and make this announcement without the support of God through the prophet Elijah. He needed the assurance of the prophet's presence. There's only one way that Obadiah was going to be able to put his life on the line like this and survive. It was with the assurance and assistance of the God in who he trusted. He needed to know that Elijah was really going to come with the word and announce the end of the drought and the return of spiritual blessing. And that brings us to our third point, Obadiah's assurance. Brothers and sisters, Although Obadiah's fear might have been warranted, the response of the Lord through his prophet Elijah is not, is not, well, do not worry about it, then I will find another way. No, when God calls, his expectation is that we are obedient to that calling. But the Lord is not a hard God who does not understand our fear and our apprehensions. And so we see the answer of the prophet, his divine provision for Obadiah. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. Elijah first directs Obadiah's attention to the character of the God who is giving this command. He refers to him as the Lord of hosts. This term literally means the Lord of armies. He is the God who commands the heavenly armies of angels. It is a name used for God when he directed the events of creation when he led the nation of Israel into battle, and when he commanded the angelic forces of heaven itself. Elijah wants to impress upon Obadiah that this is the God before who he stands. He is not a dead God like Baal. No, he is a living God with power and might, beyond comprehending. In other words, the prophet was not coming in his own strength, but in the might and power of the Lord of hosts. And he assures Obadiah that he, he, as a mediator between God and his people, will be there to bring the word and announce the return of God's blessing. And guess what, brothers and sisters? We have a mediator who does that for us in our calling, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When the anger and apostasy of this world rages against the gospel message, and we are at times afraid to announce the message of true blessing, because the world will hate us for it, Jesus says to us, as he did to his disciples in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 19, 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The promise that accompanies our commission is that he is with us. He has poured out his spirit upon us. And so we have the same assurance that when we announce the wonderful gospel promises, 
that the mediator will be there with us, and that will show. The world will see Christ by our witness, Jesus assures us in Matthew 10, verse 19. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. We do not go alone. No, the servant of the Lord of hosts is by our side. And so, like Obadiah, we as the Church of Jesus Christ can and must announce the imminent return of God's blessing. The return of Christ, the Word made flesh, because when He comes again, He will meet our deepest longings for renewal. He will reign upon His people the fullness of His blessings. Amen.